Hi, I'm Steve Hayes, and welcome to This Is My Story. I love stories, and what I find most compelling about them is when I can talk to other people about what's gone on in their lives, and when you hear everything that has come together to make them who they are, it's really powerful. So please listen along with This Is My Story. I'm Don Denbo, and this is my story. All right. Well, welcome, you guys. Thanks for joining us for This Is My Story. We are here with a very special guest today. We have Mayor Don Dembo, who's the mayor of Corsicana. A lot of people know him as Coach Don Dembo, too. And uh, he's got a lot of titles in this town. A lot of people know who you are. Are you originally from Corsicana? Well, actually, uh, yes, I went to school in Corsicana, okay. uh, but I lived out west of town on 744, about oh, six miles past the high school. Okay. And was in what was then called the Drain Community, which had yeah. probably 50 people in it. So wow. I'm a country boy at heart and by origin. Right. And fortunately, was able to go to school at uh, Corsicana. Good. And, uh, you know, get a good, hopefully a good education and, uh-huh. and a good follow-through on athletics and so forth. So you were, you've always been involved in athletics? Pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was, uh, I was going to Lee Elementary uh-huh. as an elementary student, and we had a football team for the fifth and sixth graders. And okay. so I played on that, and that kind of got me interested in sports. Yeah. I also uh, played on the American Orange in baseball in the summertime. Okay. I had Ed Blackburn as my coach, a great gentleman who eventually was in charge of the housing developments here. Right. And he he did a lot to as an influence for me to, uh, first of all, store your ego away and try to do the best you can and be humble about it if you mm-hmm. can. So football kind of became your thing at some point right well it uh basically basically i'm a football baseball guy okay i prefer honestly no one knows this but i i prefer baseball yeah um when i got into high school of course uh, i was on the baseball team and football team too okay um in 63 we won the state championship yeah. which was uh and we were 14 and 0 we won 14 games and lost wow. none so that was a great achievement but that was a game changer for me and a life changer for me because number one it allowed me to get a scholarship okay. to go to smu and uh i stipulated in my scholarship agreement with hayden fry who was the head coach at smu was that i would like to have a full baseball scholarship uh, in addition to a full football. And what that did for me is if I got tired of getting beat up on the football field and I could go revert back to my, which was my first love at the time, baseball. Right. What position did you play? Third in base. Oh, in, in football. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Jerry Moore was one of our assistant coaches mm-hmm. who just came to us from Baylor and right. who eventually won some state uh, national championships at Appalachian State. Okay. Um, but he was a g- great, in my opinion, pass coordinator. He knew how to – because Baylor did it. And mm-hmm. so he made me, uh, after the first three weeks of practice, 
they spread me out as a wide uh, split end, which okay. that was one of the few split receivers in Texas at the time. Right. Of course, now is commonplace. Yeah. But at that time, it was different. Yeah. And looking back over the old films, you know, our passing game made a huge difference in loosening people up and allowing us to score more points. So, so you went, you played the same position at SMU. SMU. I, okay. I was second behind a, a legend at SMU, Jerry Levias. Okay. Yeah, and but I we won the uh, we won the conference championship in 1966, which was unheard of for SMU, right. and uh, played uh, Georgia in the Cotton Bowl and got beat oh, pretty wow. soundly, but yeah. still. That was a good accomplishment to have that happen to us at SMU. Then I went to uh, – I played baseball in the spring. Okay. Uh, Bob Finley was a coach at that time. <clears throat> and we uh, – a lot of us football players uh, joined in that program. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of others. Mike Livingston was a great player. and Harold Richardson was a great player. Uh, we came within one game of winning the conference championship. was, mm. again, unheard of. But uh, – after that, I signed a pro baseball contract oh, with wow. the, the Dodgers. And, okay. uh, and one of the experiences that I really cherished was that I played for Tommy Lasorda in the rookie league. Wow. And so up to the point where I got promoted to Santa Barbara, I played for Norm Sherry. Uh, but Tommy was an excellent uh, – I wouldn't say a role model. Right. Uh, but he was really an interesting guy. Yeah. So, but I I really enjoyed that experience. So you knew then that he was going to go on to big things. Yeah, he he had that capability. There was no doubt. Right. I mean, uh, he had a joke and a story for everything, and uh-huh. uh, he uh, just one of those exceptional people that you look back on and say, "Boy, I was that really helped me when I was playing under him." That's that's. That's amazing. See, we're already, I'm already learning a bunch of things I didn't know about you. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I was uh, this uh, not to brag, but I mean, I was a first round draft choice for Dodge, the Dodgers. Wow. So, uh, you know, I had a good junior year at SMU, and then signed for a, con- a contract in the the summer of '67. Okay. So you go through all that, mm-hmm. and eventually you end up back here in Corsicana yeah. and how, how, tell us a little bit about the route that led you back to Corsicana well I was playing in Bakersfield California for the Dodgers the, the Dodger organization moved the California League team from Santa Barbara where I started and played in 67 okay and then I played two and a half years at Bakersfield uh, which was uh, a good experience uh, we had good players and of course the Dodgers an excellent organization but uh it just so happened, I mean, injuries kind of got me, and and basically I tell people I just, you know, uh, wasn't good enough. So that's mm-hmm. the way it happens in professional baseball. Right. Uh, you can be really good in your local region or whatever, but, I mean, trying to, to ascend those steps in pro baseball is difficult because mm-hmm. it depends on health, it depends on playing under a good manager or having good teammates. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, I don't blame any of that on any of that. I, basically, I, I, I wasn't uh, a good enough player to, yeah. to make it. Yeah, and I, I would imagine unless you're a transcendent talent, mm-hmm. you a lot of things have to break your way in order to, exactly. to make it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so you, you finish up your, your career in that and you decide – 
Yeah, this the the summer of '69. I had a daughter, Laurie, okay. and mm-hmm. my wife, Linda, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a, we prayed about it, and mm-hmm. I decided, well, I needed to make a change. I mean, uh, progress was I was I was hitting like oh, 250, 260, somewhere in there, and had a few home runs. But nothing exceptional. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 the story was that Ron Say came to Bakersfield and they moved me to the outfield. And of course, Ron Say was a great player for the Dodgers when they were really good. Right. And uh, so I was out of position, so to speak. And so I said, well, you know, maybe it's best that I just go on down the road and, mm-hmm. and do what uh, I like doing. So uh, <clears throat> we. Uh, Drove back to Corsicana in, in that summer, '69, and coming all the way back, we discussed what you know what we think we should be doing next. And I always liked football, and I enjoyed being around good coaches. Jesse Cummins was one of my coaches in middle school, a great person. He uh, always told us about his uh, landing on Omaha Beach, and, mm. uh, and that, that kind of gave you some history about our country as well as the achievements of somebody that I knew personally. Right. So, uh, and then Jim Acri comes to town and, you know, we win the state championship. But anyway, I liked I liked the football end of it. And so, it, you know, what they say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And I was very fortunate. Jerry Moore, the aforementioned person that uh-huh. was one of our coaches in 63, helped me get a job at Mesquite ISD. and. Okay. I was really fortunate because I became a hit a varsity assistant, which is kind of unheard of in that big a uh, deal. But anyway, right. it was because of Jerry's recommendation. So I I spent one year at Mesquite coaching. I coached football, and believe it or not, I was a head track coach. Okay. Which you know they needed me to do that, so I had right. to do some studying to figure mm-hmm. out you know what was what. Yeah. But after one year there. I followed one of our coaches to Midland Lee, which is an outstanding school district and really good um, education yeah. uh, situation for uh, all its students. But I worked, went to work for Jim Acri, who was my coach in high school, and I stayed there four years. Okay. And so <clears throat> working for Jim was a great experience. Uh, I squeezed what I say, 20 years of experience in four years mm-hmm. because we worked hard. Yeah. Right. And so hard work uh, in preparation for the opponent and making sure our kids were prepared and things of that nature was a big part of working for Jim Acri. And I became his, after two years there, the defensive coordinator, which was a big honor for me because mm-hmm. that was a, they call that the Little Southwest Conference. You know, the okay. Midland School, Odessa Schools. Yep. Big Springs, uh, Abilene. Always uh, in it. Oh, I mean, it's huge people. Yeah. You know, Permian was the big uh, yep. rival. But anyway, yep. I stayed there, and I just about got worn out. I mean, <laughs> and uh, the thing is, too, my mom was a little ill, so okay. my, we, we decided to move back to Corsicana. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to coach. I just mm. would like to have a teaching job. So they said, well, we'll we, can, we have a teaching position for special ed, would you do that? And I said, absolutely, what I got to do. So I had to attend Odessa Junior College to get a certification for to be a special ed teacher. So wow. that helped me when I was a coach because 
it makes you understand and appreciate the limitations of some people and how they need uh, how they need extra help in some ways. Mm-hmm. And to get across a message to those kind of kids means you could get across a message to most other kids. Right. So um, that's that's a that's a fascinating insight. You know, we we have yeah. a special needs son and absolutely and. Um, that's been my experience too. If you can, if you can learn how to communicate and mm-hmm. manage mm-hmm. Um, a child with special needs, right, it teaches you a lot about communicating and managing right. other people as well. Right, you know. Um, so I'm sure that helped in your coaching and absolutely and, and all your communication with, yeah. with others. Well, that's my awesome. daughter's following that a little bit. Yeah, She's right. involved with this, special ed kids for CISD, yeah. and yeah. she has a heart for those kind of kids. She's great at it. She's yeah. been a big help to us. Well, so great. That's Thanks. awesome. I appreciate awesome. that. So you end up back here and you end up coaching. You know, yeah. coaching football. Well, my first day back on the job, I told him I didn't want to necessarily coach. I think Don Bowen was the uh, superintendent oh, yeah. then. Yep. And uh, lo and behold, I, I report for the first day and said, oh, by the way, you're the assistant freshman coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I went from a defensive coordinator's job at a fi- big, big 4A at the time as yeah. 4A. And to come back as a freshman coach was kind of a step back. So – but I decided I would do that because basically I needed the job. And uh, how long was it from that time till you became the head coach? About it was four years. I was uh, the freshman assistant uh, two years, and I was the varsity defensive coordinator for a year under Bill Froman. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth year, I became the head coach in 1977. And how long did you? How long were you the head coach? Sixteen years. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, it is. Uh, but here's the deal. I mean, I get credit for a lot of it, but, I mean, I had good assistant coaches. I had good support from the administration. Mark Colwell was the superintendent. Okay. He's like an ex- a second dad to me. And then the third thing is, uh, you know, we had good athletes, which, yeah. which is really the best, the most important yeah. thing. So, I mean, we had – we won more games than anybody. In, yeah. in the history of Corsicana. Wow. And we did that. It wasn't just me. It was it was the organization and the people we had. What's, a, what's the most talented player you coached? Oh, my goodness. Don't put me, you probably <laughs> put had me a bunch, on the spot. Huh? I had a lot. Bill Jones is one. Uh-huh. He was an All-American running back. Uh-huh. Uh, but I had a lot of good players. Matt Clark was my quarterback in the state finals game. Uh, June Clark was his dad. He was a, baker, a banker here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had, like I said, we had good players, and uh, we gave. We think we gave the coaches gave the players every opportunity to win if they so desired, and right. and they did. They they were motivated. Mm. That's awesome. And then you go from there to being what the superintendent. Uh, over a period of two or three years, yeah, mm-hmm. I was uh, when I stopped coaching, I be, became the athletic director. Mm-hmm. The, the official title was uh, special, uh, was a, uh, let me think what that uh, label was. Anyway, they gave me an executive director of uh, UIL and student services, which means I took care of all the athletics. Mm-hmm. I even did, I was even the uh, the person who timed the, fir- the one-act play in the district meet. Uh, Elaine wow. Hand got me to do that, <laughs> and I had to read up on it. You wore every hat there was. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, number one, 
you know, if you were the judge, if you were the person doing the t- all the administration of the the uh, meat, uh-huh. you could not allow a uh, one act play cast or the one act play to go past a certain amount of time. Right. So you had to watch watch your watch, or you mm-hmm. disqualify that uh, contingent of people. And that was really a lot of pressure because oh, they had worked all year to be there, and to lose it if you were one second over is a right. bad deal. Yeah. But anyway, that was kind of fun because it I, sh- I learned something new. Yeah. And Elaine was really good to help me. Uh, she had great one act plays here for a long time in Corsicana. Mm-hmm. So you go to superintendent. How long were you a superintendent? Six years. Six I, years. I was uh, athletic director or UIL student services for uh, three or four years. And then I decided I wanted to get back into to administrative part of it to to be around kids more than mm-hmm. I was in the central office. And so I became a principal of high school and stayed okay. there for three years. And that was one of the most interesting jobs I've ever had. There's a lot of is- issues with that, a lot of pressure. Sure. Uh, but the good news was uh, for, you know, you're always judged by the performance on the state test, state assessment, state test, but we were two students away from being a recognized campus, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we came a long way in three years. Mm -hmm. Then I went back and helped Jim Dixon at the central office again and uh, stayed with him couple of more years and he left and retired and then I became a superintendent. I was real fortunate that the board selected me to, to do that. I was, uh, of course, I was a Corsicana native and I was really loyal to the district and, mm-hmm. and the people we had, all the school board members and so forth. We had a great school board ever when I was working there as an underling to the superintendent and, and when I was a superintendent. Right. I would say at this juncture that Kent Rogers was there. Yep, Kent, awesome guy, mm-hmm. awesome guy. I sure miss that man. Yes. Um, so six years as a superintendent, and then you, did you just step away from that? Was it just time to move on, or? Yeah, I just retired. I mean, I had forty at that juncture. I had forty-one years in, uh, in yeah. education, so you know it was. Uh, it wasn't anything negative at all about it I just you mm-hmm. know maybe it's time to go I, 41 years I was uh, like 64 or 5 years old and uh, so it was just time to, time to, to give it to somebody else and I was happy to do that and mm-hmm. I helped uh, Diane every chance I got Diane Frost it was yeah. a good choice mm-hmm. and uh, you know she's done really well mm-hmm. uh, My, I would say the last year of my superintendency it took 6 years with the help again this is like football with a lot of help from a lot of people sure we became a uh, recognized district, awesome. which was, you know, that's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah, but it took six total years to do it. Yeah. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to go into public service and and put your hat in the, in the ring for, uh, for mayor? 2011, I ran for the, the uh, city council. Okay. Ran against a really nice lady, Dana Collins. She was mm-hmm. a good lady. We thought the same mm-hmm. it's just luck of the draw that I won she lost mm-hmm. and I was on the I was on the council six years and then uh, Chuck McClanahan was um, been a, the, the mayor for six years and he mm-hmm. decided he wanted to retire so basically I I, I took over for that uh, I've been fortunate as mayor I, I haven't had a 
an opponent for the last uh, mm-hmm. three elections. But um, my whole thing with that is certainly it's not wasn't for the money. It's not <laughs> there's not any money in it. Right. But I mean, I was uh, trying to repay the community for all it done for me and mm-hmm. and make sure that things were. Um, Hopefully that we could really do some good things with economic development yeah. and other things. There's been some controversy, especially here late, lately. Uh, that just goes with it. And bottom line is uh, council people and mayor included, that makes five of us, you are responsible fiduciary-wise for the well-being of the city, which means money. you got to mm-hmm. know what the numbers are. Because you can let it get away from you, and your city can go way down, uh, and there can be some real ramifications for that. So you have, every decision you make is based on, number one, how good something is, a service. Mm-hmm. It has to be good service for our, our citizens. And then the second thing is it has to be, have, make fiduciary sense. Yeah, financially responsible. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to change gears just a little bit, and we'll okay. come back to all these things that we've talked about, because certainly you've had a full and fascinating life. Um, but um, I wanted to talk to you. Part of the reason we do this podcast is to yeah. is to get people to share not only what their history is and their experiences, but um, there's a spiritual component to life that is so important. And... Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that and hear a little bit from you. Yeah. Um, typically, what what happens with a person is they're introduced to to church or to to right. to God on, on some level through another person or through experiences, and uh, maybe through the family, and then they get to a point in their life where they've got to make a, a decision that hey, this is really something that's meaningful to me and is going to be a, an integral part mm-hmm. of my life. Or it's not. Right. And so um, at what point did did a relationship with God, a trust in Jesus, at what point did that become yours? Well, it, it evolved, Steve, over a period of time. I, when mm-hmm. I was growing up, we went to a Methodist church mm-hmm. in, out in Drain Community. And right next to it was a Baptist church, by the way. Mm-hmm. We had two churches right there together. But we went to... Uh, the Methodist Church, and just a fascinating story for me is that uh, when uh, we decided, my dad decided to build a house, he bought that church, and we tore it down and built a house out of it, and it was where I grew up. But wow. anyway, that is cool. It, in the in the on the in uh, that Baptist Church moved over onto Highway 31, mm-hmm. so I would go to the the after that Methodist church was no longer there I went to Central Methodist Church in Corsicana and uh, it, it was an evolved over a period of time that I just thought you know I want to worship God I want to I understand that Jesus Christ did what he did to to save us mm-hmm. and so and he was my savior so mm-hmm. it was just a period of time and uh my wife is pres- was Presbyterian. She lived in Linda uh, lived in uh, Galveston and moved here and was in the Presbyterian Westminster Presbyterian. So mm-hmm. I moved to becoming a Presbyterian. Yeah. And now I'm an elder in a church and mm-hmm. and uh, thankfully we've gotten a new preacher and I think mm-hmm. she's going to do a great job. Yeah. 
So as that has that trust in God really helped sustain you as Absolutely. you've gone through all these different periods <laughs> of your life? And has that brought yeah, you a lot? Yeah, it's been the backbone. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, kind of one of those things. When you have a trust in God, it doesn't matter what else you go through. It's always that thing that's kind of um, at the at the core of the way you process just about everything. Isn't everything. It? That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, we go to we used to uh, go to Mo Ranch every year, which is a Presbyterian retreat, mm-hmm. and uh, that came to the front in every every year. I mean, you were. It was a it was a heartwarming, heart touching experience, mm-hmm. just like all my childhood and, and right. adulthood. Have you found that that your walk with with God has become more um, meaningful to you as you as you've gotten older? Pretty much, uh, you know, it's um, it's it's moved to the core of my existence. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, my wife and I we go to church and. Our kids went to Westminster as well, mm-hmm. and uh, they're not quite quite as diligent as as we are. My daughter goes a lot, and my son, for some some reason, hadn't yet. But mm-hmm. I know that he he believes; he's mm-hmm. a believer, and eventually he'll get back into the fold. But uh, it is an essential part of my life, and my kids' life, and my wife's life, and uh, and it, it's an underpinning for everything I do and think. So let's switch gears again and go back to you've had all these experiences from, you know, growing up here to to football and baseball to college um, and going to the big city in Dallas and then uh, going to the Dodgers organization, then having opportunities to, you know, you start with, with – uh, kind of special ed and assistant coaching and things like that and then you end up in leadership and it seems like the theme of your adult life has been leadership just various levels of leadership you're you're coaching at a high level for 16 years as a head man you're right from there into other areas of leadership as ad principal and and superintendent and now probably you know an area where most people would look and say you've got the primary leadership role in this community as the mayor um what are what's the key to good leadership in your mind well that's a great question uh i think instinctually it's some a way of creating creating an environment where everyone feels valued and can uh, input I- ideas and be part of the solution rather than part of a problem. Right. Um, when I was at the high school as a principal, a lot of those people I had worked with a long time is because I was in a coaching role, and uh, we, uh, I, I would say that when I was named the principal, they say, "Oh my gosh, you got an old dumb football coach," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, Elaine Ann, who I'd worked with in UIL stuff, said, you just need to wait and see, and make your own decision, but just don't think, you know, he's one way or the other. And mm-hmm. so it worked out good. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I said, okay, we need to do this 
steps, these steps, to help kids get to this point in the classroom. And I, it was amazing. I had great uh, cooperation and uh, loyalty to me and to the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would like to think that the educational environment at the high school at that time really got better and better and better. But it, again, I keep going back to this. You can't be a good leader unless you have good people working with you. And I had great teachers and counselors and coaches. And, and so uh, I think it all resulted in an environment for kids to succeed in. Mm. So a lot of it, if I'm hearing you correctly, is buy-in. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have people around you right. who bought in to what you're doing. Right. And in order to get people to buy in, you, you have to kind of sell them a vision Exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, and every day has to be. The, you cannot change one day to the next. Mm-hmm. You you follow the same principles, and you keep enunciating to your folks that work with you what the final goal is and mm-hmm. how. Uh, and then you need to, in in my opinion, you need to complement those people who are a part of an organization and who are doing what their very best. Uh, and then any of them that's not doing what they should be, you take them aside and you don't fuss at them or complain to them. You just say, look, we need you to do this and this mm-hmm. and this because it will result in these kids being successful not only in your classroom but in their life lifespan. Mm-hmm. So. That's good. So keeping a level head and staying cool oh, yeah. is a big yeah. part of it too. Huh? You, can't, you can't lose your cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've, I've wanted to talk to you about this for a long time. One of the situations that I told you I was going to stay away from a whole lot of issues, and mm-hmm. I and I plan on it. But this is an important issue, not just for Corsicana, but in our world today. One of the things that I feel like I've I've made some good steps and some bad steps in this town over the year, just like just like any of us have. Um, but one of the things that I remember in particular that you talking about, and you talked about it at a ministerial alliance meeting one time, was the whole situation with the park gorilla. Do you remember that situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a mess that was. And I misread that situation, I'll admit, initially. When I first heard about that situation, for those of you <laughs> listening, um, it's kind of hard to explain, but there, there is a gorilla in the park, in Community Park, that has, um, you know, recently, not too long ago, stirred up a lot of controversy in our town. Um, it was in a, in a cage, and, and there were many people in our town who just thought, well, that's a, that's a novelty thing. It's kind of a fun deal that kids play in this park, and it's no big deal. But there were many others in this town who felt like it was racially insensitive and had been for a long time. And it turned into a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were people on all sides of it. And I I think my big mistake in that was I just didn't realize how big it, of a deal it was to certain folks in our community. Right. I didn't realize that it was hurtful um, and had been for some time. And you seemed to realize that right off the bat. And kind of made some decisions surrounding that um and you didn't get hot and bothered or you know make a big scene but you you had to deal with that situation I remember when you talked about it at the ministerial alliance you said when I coached 
I coached a lot of these families. Right. I coached a lot of black families, yes. black kids. Mm-hmm. I feel a responsibility to that community. And um, those, that's my people. And I want to I take care of them. If something hurts them, right. I want to be sensitive to that. That's exactly right. Um, how did, you know, you come from a generation and a, a time period where you've probably seen a lot of insensitivity in that area and abuse in that area quite frankly. How'd you, how'd you know how to manage that situation? Well, one thing I believe in that side of the town. I mean, yeah. I believe in those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, African Americans have just as much uh, rights and responsibilities as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, my dad was a bus driver. He was a farmer and a bus driver, and he select, he wanted and he asked for the uh, assignment of driving Jacks, the Jackson Bears uh, every weekend to their game. And I was, uh, I always wanted to go with him. And so uh, Coach Day, who was the really ultra uh, successful coach in, on the east side with the Jackson mm-hmm. team, uh, I would ask him, or Dad would ask him, can, uh, can my son Donnie uh, go with us over to the game? Because we were, we were transporting to the old Tiger Field over mm-hmm. there near Lee School. And he said, sure. So I, I went... In my early, I had early experience with the east side of town, and uh, they have substantial feelings about what uh, is the source of racism. And uh, I had a lot of them come to me to tell me that mm-hmm. when this this happened. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I didn't tell anyone who those people were. Right, but I, they came to me and they asked for my help, and they said, "Look, we we uh, we know maybe some white folks don't think this way or that way, mm-hmm. but you know it's if- offensive to us." Mm-hmm. So to me, the idea uh, that if you're a mayor, that you need to look at all your personnel. Of course, people. What what are the consequences if you take? Uh, a gorilla statue and and do away with the cage. I mean, mm-hmm. no, why don't you just leave it there without the cage anyway? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of options there, and hopefully we we uh, we made the decision the right decision. But you know, I can't yeah. say that I was right or wrong. All I can say is I followed my heart, and I I think that. Uh, some of the folks on the east side, you know, they didn't want any kind of attention. They didn't want anybody coming to them and uh, sitting in the front yard and talking about it. Uh, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. And some of them uh, might have deserted me in the, in, the, in the fray, but that's okay. I knew it was right for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, I, we have to be a champion for everybody in, in this town. I don't care mm-hmm. uh, who they are. You know, we have a great Islander population. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, tremendous African-American population. The, the Mexican-Americans are, are, of course, coming and coming, and mm-hmm. they, they are contributing to the community. Mm-hmm. So you ha- I think you have to be conscious of everything or for every group of people. And it sounds, uh, when you say that, it sounds so reasonable and easy, but, boy, it's a, yeah. it's a tricky situation yeah. these days to... to uh, to know what is, um, golly, I don't, I don't even know the right word. It's, it's just hard to know what the right steps to take are, it's and what's, right. what's reasonable, mm-hmm. what's extreme, you know, right. and to find the balance in the midst of all that when you're serving such a diverse community. Right. 
And this is a very diverse community. Yeah, it is. Very diverse. Um, well, thanks for, for talking about that. I, I didn't tell you I was going to talk about that. No, that's okay. I didn't know I would, but it was just uh, yeah, something that, that, that was a always hard time, stuck with you, me. You know, we tried to get through it, and, yeah. and uh, hopefully no one was injured by it. And so, yeah. you know, we just, you know, you make your decisions as they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got a lot of attention, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's, that's the... That's the nightmare scenario in some ways as a leader is um, I, I always have this saying. I say it to my staff sometimes, like, um, my goal is just to stay off the front page, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be back page news, you know, or not news at all. Right. And so um, sometimes the toughest scenario is when all of a sudden, through no really doing of your own, you find yourself in the limelight. Right. And having to deal with a, a hot button issue, um, but that's another one of those leadership things. Just comes with the territory, doesn't it? Pretty much. I mean, uh, every day is not the same. Yeah, you have different issues, and uh, and you don't have uh, time to prepare on some of the issues to make sure everybody's happy with the decisions. Yeah. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast, you know, when you're the mayor. You just have to take those uh, criticism and go on down the road. It's the burden of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. It comes with some heavy weight sometimes, yeah. but you seem to stay pretty steady through it all. What's, well, what's your you know, secret there? Well, you know, in, in, uh, we'll take an example of playing in Texas Stadium against uh, a really good, great team in Cleburne. You know, I'm making third down calls. Um, with third down and 15 to go, and you just have to make, hopefully you've prepared enough to understand what's gonna work and what's not gonna work, mm-hmm. and you make the call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, thankfully, we were able to do that without too much damage. Right. But uh, we we ask, of, I mean, I have an open door policy. Yeah. I mean, if they wanna come and talk to me individually, that's the way to go about it. It's not to, you know, demonstrate or get in a crowd and and say things without factual basis. Mm-hmm. If they come to me and I don't know the answers, then I'll, I'll try to find the answers. I, I don't. But again, my job, in my opinion, and all of the council is the fiduciary job of making sure that the city is financially viable and is staying that way. Yeah. And um, anything that, that interferes with that, you've got to deal with it. Yeah. One of the things that I um, we do we do a marriage curriculum up here and kind of a marriage class that we work with people. Right. Um, no matter what level they may be in 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 marriage, we work with them. And one of the principles I learned from that curriculum we use is is to believe the best about your spouse. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's easy. Sometimes they give you the best to believe in, and sometimes it's not. And I think that has helped me a lot in other areas of, of yeah. just human interaction, especially yeah. in leadership. Most people aren't doing things to to try and hurt you. Most people aren't doing things to uh, to try and get up on you. Most people are doing the best they can with what they've got, and if you can just find a way to kind of believe the best about them, you know, um, sometimes it, it helps. 
And I think that's what people need to do with somebody in your position as well is just, you know, you're doing the best you can with what you've got. And well, you um, know, every decision is complex. Yeah. There, there are very few simple decisions that have to be made. And a complex situation has facts associated with it. And uh, that, not, that it, not everybody's privy to. That's true. And uh, that's a concern. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if they if they come to the office and want to talk about it, I can give them the facts. Mm-hmm. If they and I can tell them this is why we did this. Yeah. And uh, but uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. Speaking of wives, I've got a great one. No doubt. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> we share that in common. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we share that in common. Yeah. Well, man. Thank you for spending time with me. I find you, it's easy for me to believe the best about you, and I appreciate the service that you've given to our community. Thank you. And I appreciate you spending some time talking to me. You bet. On this thing. Uh, Who knows who's listening, but maybe it'll be helpful. Um, The town's great to have you here in the church doing what you're doing. I know it's. We love uh, it. Yeah, I know that you do. And I hear great things about you. Well, good. Don't believe everything you hear. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Don. Appreciate you. Thank you, Steve. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe. And if you'd like to spread the word, please consider leaving a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. Our video podcast is available on our Grace Community Church YouTube channel. This Is My Story is produced and engineered by Jake Moore and is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Corsicana, Texas. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker and do not necessarily express the views of Grace Community Church. Thanks for listening.